This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. How is inflation hitting your household? The latest numbers are in, as you heard in Bob's news, and as expected, inflation was down in September, but only a little. It dropped from 7% to 6.9%, and the main reason was a decrease in gas prices. Food inflation is still a huge problem, 11.4% compared to a year ago. Meanwhile, the Bank of Canada has doubled down on its commitment to raising interest rates, even though that is another pain point for many people. So is that the right strategy? What do you think? And how are you faring with all of this? The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We'll be looking at all aspects of this, beginning with Benjamin Tal, Chief Economist for CIBC. Hi, Benjamin. Hi, hello. How are you? Fine. How are you? Wonderful, wonderful. So, first of all, is this number what you expected, uh, such a small drop in the annual rate? Yeah, we expected a drop. We wanted to see it at 6.7. We got 6.9, so that's not good news. Uh, The number one reason, of course, was the food prices that are rising even faster than expected, and we expected a high number. And remember, it's getting uh, worse, actually, because gasoline prices uh, fell in um, September, but actually went up in October. And, uh, you know, 100% of the decline was because of the decline in gasoline prices. That will reverse itself in October, unfortunately. So the number that we'll be getting in October might be actually higher. Higher than seven? It will be very close to seven, something like that. Uh, So the question is, uh, what's the trajectory for the next uh, few months? And the hope is that um, gasoline prices will start going down. But the most uh, significant uh, story is what we call core inflation, namely inflation minus energy and, um, and food. And here, even there, we saw some acceleration in activity. And that's something that, that the Bank of Canada is very concerned about. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk a bit about the food inflation. There is, of course, a huge debate that we'll be getting more into later about whether the food prices exceed what they should be doing and, and whether grocers are using inflation as a cover for gouging. Yes, that's a tough one. We don't know to what extent people are hiding behind the inflationary fog and raise the prices. We simply don't know that. That's something that people have to look at. But overall, I think that uh, inflation is a major issue that uh, the Canadian economy and the global economy is facing. And the Bank of Canada has no choice. They have to raise interest rates. And we have to remember one thing. If you give the Bank of Canada two choices, a recession or inflation, they they will take a recession any day. And that's exactly what the Bank of Canada is telling us. And that's why come October 26th, they will raise interest rates by another 75 basis points, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I just uh, read a brand new report hot off the press by left-wing economist Jim Stanford. And he says it's exactly the wrong thing to do uh, because this inflation is different than what we experienced, say, in the 70s. Uh, there is something to it. Uh, you know, there is supply inflation and demand inflation. About 50% of the inflation that we are getting now is supply chain related. The Bank of Canada can talk about inflation until they are blue in the face. That will not do anything to supply chain inflation because it's all about um, China. It's all about uh, supply chain stories and clearly what's happening in Europe. So this is something that they cannot do anything about. At the same time, there is still 50% of inflation that is coming from inside the domestic uh, segment of the inflation story. And here they can do something about it. Uh, wages are rising strongly and um, many other forces in the economy seeing inflation rising. So the only thing they can do is to raise interest rates to make sure that inflation does not rise too much. Remember, the Bank of Canada does not care about inflation today. The number is meaningless. What they care about is what you and I think about inflation tomorrow. 
If inflation expectations start rising, you will have a situation in which they will not be able to chase it. And that's their fear, and that's why they will choose a recession over inflation any day. Won't a recession hurt people? I mean, wages are rising, but they're not rising as much as inflation. So it's not like uh, people have all this extra money, most people who are, you know, earning a wage. Absolutely. And the Bank of Canada will tell you that if we don't kill inflation and we keep inflation rising, that will be even worse because then you cannot make any decisions and the companies will lay off people and the unemployment rate will rise. That's a nightmare scenario as far as the Bank of Canada is concerned. Remember, they have a commitment. The commitment is 2%. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, this is really not about inflation. At the end of the day, this is about the cost of bringing inflation down to 2%. And if that cost is a recession, the Bank of Canada will say, so be it. Mm-hmm. But, but is that really the best thing for people to, to uh, have a recession that may cost them their jobs? I think that a long period of inflation that is no, not under control is even riskier and will cause long-term damage. We have seen a situation in the 1970s that led to the double deep recession of the 1980s, led to a significant increase in interest rates. Since then, central banks said inflation is your enemy. We have to control it. Now, we can debate to what extent the 2% target is the right target. Remember, there are many inflationary forces now. We have deglobalization. We used to have just in uh, time inventories. Now we have just in case inventories and wages are rising. Those are all inflationary forces. And you can suggest, and that's a good debate to have, to what extent the target should be two, maybe three, maybe four. But that's a different discussion. At this point, the Bank of Canada is saying the target is 2%. And in order to reach that target, we have to raise interest rates. And that's the policy, and that's the policy in Europe, and that's the policy in the U.S. One of the points in Jim Stanford's report was that actually here in Canada, our inflation rate is low among the OECD countries. And given that a lot of it is because of supply chains, what's the point of a small economy like ours clamping down so hard on inflation when other countries are not doing it to the same extent? Well, other countries are doing it, uh, not to the same extent, extent, but they will catch up. Uh, the Bank of Canada started uh, early and uh, is going very aggressively. The Fed will continue to go after the Bank of Canada stops. So all the central banks are doing the same thing, just choose a different timing. The Bank of Canada decided to go uh, earlier and faster, but it doesn't mean that the Fed will stop. The Fed in the U.S. will go even higher than the Bank of Canada when this story comes to an end. Uh, Benjamin, I uh, know you have to go. So uh, just to sum up, can you tell us uh, for someone, for a regular family that is struggling with all of this, what can they expect? Unfortunately, inflation will be sticky for the next few months or even few quarters. It will take a while to get rid of the supply chain story, and we simply cannot control it. This is a COVID story. This is a China story. This is a Russia story. There is nothing we can do about it. Uh, So inflation will be more sticky than uh, expected. So we should be expecting to live with inflation for a while. At the same time, if you make plans for inflation two or three years from now, don't count on it to be 6-7% because the Bank of Canada will do whatever it takes to take it to 2%. So two years from now, I guess it will be 2%. And are we going to suffer a recession in the meantime? I think that the labor market is very strong, and that's very good. We have 1 million vacancies, and that's a good thing. So if it's going to be a recession, and maybe we are in one already, it's going to be a mild recession if you don't have the cost of uh, the labor market suffering. However, if the Bank of Canada continues to raise interest rates, and remember, and that's the issue, that's the issue here. Remember, every economic recession over the past uh, 40 years was helped, if not caused, by a monetary policy error in which central bankers raised interest rates way too much and killed the economy and the labor market. I believe that the Bank of Canada will raise by 50, 75 basis points the next year, probably 75 basis points. But then they have to stop. If they continue and take interest rates to four and a half, five, that would be overshooting that will cause the most significant recession with some uh, labor market uh, pain. That's something that we have to avoid. The issue, of course, is that inflation is a lagging indicator. Inflation is telling you what happened in the past, not the future. But show me the central bank that will stop raising interest rates while inflation is still accelerating. That's the risk that we are facing. The Bank of Canada will have to 
have the monetary gut, courage to stop raising interest rates while inflation is still accelerating, knowing that the magic of interest rates is working with a lag. Okay. Benjamin Tall, thank you so much. A pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, let me bring the numbers, uh, uh, phone numbers, that is, out again. I still would like to hear from people on how this is affecting them and what do you think about the prospect of more interest rate hikes. Uh, the number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's bring in Pau Pujolas, Associate Professor of Economics at McMaster University, and Julia Wendling, an economist with Rosenberg Research. Welcome and thanks both for joining us. Hello. Hi, thank you so much. Okay, well, so we have the latest inflation number. It is down marginally and basically on the back of gas prices, which have started to go up. So uh, what's the bottom line on this, Julia? Yeah, basically, like you said, and just to echo Benjamin Tall, this is really a gas story. The year-over-year trend in gasoline prices came down hard from 22.1% in August to 13.2% in September. Uh, and at the meantime, the core actually saw an increase. So this isn't a broad-based decline. Uh, this is really an energy story. Though in saying that, we do expect softness in the Canadian economy ahead, as well as an improvement in these supply chain disruptions. So looking ahead, the downtrend uh, we believe is still intact for for overall price growth. Pal Pujolas, uh, what does this mean for Canadian families who are already struggling with these numbers? I think that we we have to be a little bit optimistic here. Uh, if you look at the average inflation for the last three months or so, and you analyze it so that you can have comparable figures, you get a, a rather small number. You get back on the on the two percentage point. I'm also optimistic. I think that the numbers are going to go down in the coming months. The tension seems to be raising, and, and, and sooner than later, we may even hit deflation, if you ask me. Really? Yeah. Um, are we headed to a recession, in your opinion? That's too tough to say. So on the one hand, as, uh, as they were saying before, we have uh, many vacancies in the labor market. When you have lots of vacancies, that's a very good signal of the economy, so I don't think that that suggests a uh, uh, recession anytime soon. Also, there seems to be, we are in, in an all-time low number of bankruptcies, which also suggests that the economy is doing quite well. On the other hand, if if we keep increasing the interest rate, may, it may be that, that the financial conditions are starting to worsen for, for many firms that we may end up in a, in a recession. That all being said, I'd like to say that the Bank of Canada is always taking pretty good decisions. So I'm, I'm quite hopeful that they will know where to pull the brakes, frankly. Uh, Julia, as I said, uh, just this morning I read a new report from Jim Stanford, left-wing economist. He said this is exactly the wrong thing to be doing, that it will hurt Canadian families, and that this inflation is fundamentally different than what we saw in the 70s, because it's all on the supply side and uh, is largely temporary. Yeah, we, we do absolutely agree that Bank of Canada, really, by increasing interest rates, they're not going to be able to do anything about the fact that supply isn't where we need it to be. Um, so we do think that it'll naturally, inflation will, will naturally come down as China stops their on and off again lockdowns and as um, supply of food semiconductors kind of ramps up to pre-pandemic levels. So, and we're, we're seeing that already. The New York side just came out with their supply chain pressure index and it's eased for five months in a row now. So we're hopeful that some of this inflation will really take care of itself uh, going forward. What about this uh, huge ongoing increase in food prices? I mean, that hits the most vulnerable people the worst. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, grocery costs were up 1% last month, and that was the fastest increase since 1981. So that's hugely problematic for Canadian families, like you said. And here the issue is a lot of the factors that are contributing to that are completely unpredictable. We had unfavorable weather conditions. We had high prices of fertilizer and natural gas. And then, of course, the ongoing geopolitical instability in Russia and Ukraine. And who knows what's going to happen there. But on the commodities front, 
it does look like fertilizer and natural gas prices are coming off the boil. So we are hopeful that going forward that will help ease some of the um, price pressure in food. But again, those other kind of conditions are, are up in the air. So it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. Um, do you think that the Bank of Canada is raising interest rates too far too fast? Yeah, we do. We don't think that the economy can support the aggressive rate hiking campaign that the Bank of Canada has embarked on. Um, and that's kind of clear from from the distress that we are starting to see in the housing market, which is a huge part of the Canadian economy, of course. So right now we're at over 500% um, for the value of real estate compared to disposable income. So any wealth effects will be hugely negative from a decline in home prices that will inevitably ensue with this huge increase in mortgage rates. So I'd, I'd like ahead. to say that I strongly disagree with that. I think that the, the raises have been the appropriate ones. And while it's true that the housing prices have been going down a little bit, we come from a history of very high increases in housing prices. So in no way I would, I would make the claim that we are seeing the Bank of Canada going too fast, too um, too high, frankly. Julia, does your group have a target for where interest rates should be? We don't have a target for where they should be, but we are expecting at least a pause by the end of the year or early next year. Uh Uh-huh, okay. Uh, Again, uh, Pau, what do you think that families should expect? Do you see continued food inflation or do you see this uh, easing? Because it just seems to be going up. Yeah, so there is a big chunk of that that we have to thank our folks down the border, right? Uh, many of the produce that we buy comes from the from the U.S. So if we want to put a little bit of blame to someone, I would I would suggest that we look at the, at the Federal Reserve. That being said, little movements, from one period to the other, have to be taken a little bit with a grain of salt. There will be always some categories that grow, some that don't grow quite as much. Paying too much attention to one of them uh, may maybe uh, blurring our view of what's going on. Overall, inflation is stopping. Uh, we are getting that prices are not raising quite as much. And uh, I, I, am, I would like to send a, a message of optimism in the, in the months and years ahead. Okay, a message, a message of optimism is always good. I guess the question is, is it warranted? Julia, one of the things that is cited as a factor are increases in wages, but the increases in wages are not as high as the increases in inflation. So on the one hand, people are making more money, but they aren't necessarily any further ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we have been strongly of the view that this is not a wage price spiral like we had in the 70s, because if we did have that dynamic, we would see wages outpacing prices and then prices outpacing wages and so on. This has been a consistent story of wages, yes, increasing, but lagging behind price growth. That's another reason we just think that consumers are going to push back and they've already started to on this price gouging and greedflation like you talked about. So we expect, again, a cooling coming soon. I'm, I'm glad you brought up this greedflation thing. I mean, I'm going to be talking to Jagmeet Singh about it very shortly. But uh, so uh, private sector economists say uh, there's no evidence for it or at least the the ones that I've talked to say there's no evidence for it that even if grocers have made record profits, uh, their margins are still pretty low. So, Julia, do you have a view on whether it exists or um, whether it uh, just doesn't exist? Well, like Benjamin Tal said, it is a little bit hard to say. We kind of have a very public uh, spat over uh, this greedflation idea from Loblaws, Metro, and the food suppliers, where on the one hand, food suppliers are saying they haven't been increasing prices as fast. This is greed inflation, uh, greedflation, sorry. Where And then the grocery chains are kind of denying that that's happening. So it is hard to tell. I will say that broadly based, we have seen corporate profit margins across all industries They were 16% in 2021 compared to an average of 9% over the preceding two decades. So 
we did see margins on the whole increase. Um, whether that's true for the case of just food alone is hard to say, but uh, we wouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. Do you have a view of this, Pow? Is there greedflation? Uh, I think it's it's uh, framing the the question a little bit incorrectly, frankly. Uh, firms and, and, and owners of firms and, and, and people who want to sell stuff, they are as greedy now as they were uh, two years ago when we were in, in a deflationary pr- uh, process. Um, thinking that now what's going on has to do with all of a sudden these individuals being very greedy seems a little bit uh, inappropriate. I don't think that, that, that the, the mentality of people have changed that much. They went from not being greedy to being greedy. I think that they have all been equally greedy throughout. What has happened is that there has been shortages, and whenever there is a shortage of a good that everyone wants, price is going to go up. That's, that's very simple. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to, to frame it as, as greed. I don't think that that's what's, what's behind. Uh-huh. But I guess the the theory is that behind the cover of inflation, they're raising prices more than they have to. I don't think that there is such a notion of more than they have to. They have to raise prices the way that they think that they should do it. And if they raise prices too much, then people are not going to buy their goods. Um, I don't think that there is this notion of what's like a fair price or or what what people should be charged for different goods. People fix set prices, and either you buy it or not. If you don't buy it, then they they lose business. If they charge a price that's too low, then they will exhaust the amount of goods that they have. And in the, in the end, we end up getting that prices reflect scarcity, which is what we want prices to do. Uh, Julia, what what's your view of that? Yeah, um, I think that generally, when when goods have a low price elasticity of demand, um, that that isn't really the case. Like we, consumers can't substitute away from food. So, if grocery stores are choosing to charge more for food, um, people are going to have to accept that. In, in terms of actual spending, of course, we can outcry publicly, which is what's been happening. But there isn't all that much that consumers can really do beyond that. So, I do think greedflation is happening. Like we've seen the price, price gouging across several industries, and it seems like input costs are not increasing by nearly as much, but it is hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Moving uh, moving along, Pau, you think you seem to think that inflation has peaked, though. Uh, yeah, I'm under the impression. That being said, I have a crystal ball, so I cannot really make an accurate prediction of what's going to happen in the months and years ahead, but I think that now we are starting to see the end of these big Inflationary numbers, yes. Uh huh. And how long do you think that it will take for that to wind its way through? That's the thing. Depends on on how we measure inflation, which months we put in it. So right now, the number that we are seeing, the six point nine percent versus the seven percent, what that is doing is is adding very little information to what we had. The majority of the inflation numbers that we are seeing now comes from inflationary pressures between February and May of this year. That has already happened. Uh, that's why I was insisting that prices for the last three months have been definitely changing. Uh, so the problem is that if you just focus on a year-to-year inflation metric, you're not going to see these numbers being good until next May. Uh, so we may already be in a, in a good spot, but but uh, uh, maybe freaking out unnecessarily because of we look at the wrong measure. That being said, it, the, the story may be different than the one I'm, I'm saying. It may be too to tell, but we may be at the very end of it. Okay, Julia, uh, do you think that we are in or headed to a recession? Yes, uh, we do think that we are headed for a recession, for sure. Um, again, like I mentioned, even though, yes, some of this home price um, kind of values have been healthily coming off from the top. We think that this will impact consumer spending uh, in a material way. And ultimately, we already have a lot of debt on household balance sheet compared to our OECD peers. So we think that there is definitely softness ahead um, and increasing these interest rates and a recession is pretty much inevitable. Right. And will it be a recession with job losses or will the labor shortage kind of uh, persist? 
We do think that job losses are on the horizon and that generally the labor shortage that is being kind of hyped up in the media is over-exaggerated. So we do expect job losses ahead. Well, that's interesting. Over-exaggerated how? In that um, we've seen a big shift from full-time to part-time work that isn't really accounted for so and a decrease in, in average hours worked. Um, so we think that there's definitely more softness in the labor market than is being depicted by the headline numbers. And and uh, what do you think about that, Pal? I wish I could tell you. I know that uh, over the last 20 years or so, economists have predicted way too many more crises and recessions than actually have happened. So I can't tell, unfortunately. I am hopeful. I think that the Bank of Canada is going to keep changing interest rates to to the point where, where the economy is doing well. Um, I'm very optimistic. I think that we have great professionals there that, that know what they are doing. Uh, they may in, they may move a little bit and, and put interest rates a little bit too high and cause a, a recession, maybe. I, I don't know. I'm not going to make a prediction because I really can't. Okay. On that note, we'll wrap things up. Thank you so much, Pau Pujolas and Julia Wendling. Bye-bye. Thank you, Thank Bye-bye. you very much. Okay, well, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, uh, we will talk to NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. And he has spearheaded this entire conversation on greedflation. And the fact is that most Canadians do believe that it exists. So uh, we'll try to get a fix on what the evidence for it is and what you can do about it when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Well, since Monday, Loblaw companies' move to freeze prices on some lower-end no-name products has been front and center. The announcement came from the company's billionaire chairman, Galen Weston, who said he was going to help us out help us deal with inflation, and it has just reignited the debate about whether the large grocers are using inflation as a cover for price gouging. The concept is called greedflation, and NDP leader Jagmeet Singh has been spearheading the discussion on this, and he joins me now. Hello, Mr. Singh. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. My honor to be here. Okay, well, so we have a bunch of private sector analysts who say there is no evidence that greedflation is happening, and you say there is. So what is your evidence that they are gouging? So we have, first of all, sadly, examples in the past of this happening in Canada. So we're no stranger to this happening. In 2018, the large corporate grocery stores and large bread producers were found as a matter of fact, to have colluded to increase the price of bread in the bread price-fixing scandal of 2018. And it had been going on for years until it was uncovered. We all remember that 25-buck credit. (laughs) We remember that. And, And this is deeply troubling because we look at what's going on now. The cost of everything is up. And when we look specifically at food, even today's inflation numbers, we're seeing some of the other sectors having a bit of a reduction, a small cooling, but food continues to rise in price. And then we look at some of the evidence we have. We know that the big CEOs of these large corporate grocery stores are seeing big bonuses. We see big profits in that sector. The workers aren't getting paid more. The producers aren't getting paid more, but prices are certainly going up. Given all that evidence and a growing number of economists who point to clear indicia that the inflation that we're experiencing, the cost of living increase that we're experiencing, can be attributed to corporate greed. So greedflation is a driver of the cost of living going up, and specifically when it comes to food. And now, at uh, the motion that we put forward, calling for an inquiry into food prices, because let's get to the bottom of this, it prompted what we now can say is proof that corporate grocery stores do have control over their prices because they decided to freeze some prices. Now, freezing inflated prices is not necessarily going to help people, 
But it does prove our point that corporate grocery stores do have control over price setting. It's well, not certainly, that they are the whims to the prices that are set by the market. Well, it, it depends on which one. Certainly, Loblaw does because uh, they, they don't just sell the stuff. They distribute the stuff and they've got some production and um, th- they put the, uh, the freeze or the freeze lid on the no-name products, which they have more control over. Um, well, what it, what it establishes is what we've all known. They, they're not innocent bystanders uh, at the whim of global markets. They actually set prices, and we know that they do that. And then we know that in the past they've colluded to increase prices. So what we're calling for and what we passed in Parliament is to acknowledge that bread price fixing happened in 2018, given that we want an examination of prices, and let's determine whether it is, again, price fixing, is it collusion, or is it simply using inflation as a cover, using some of the legitimate price increases based on the fuel costs and the war in Ukraine and supply chain, using some of those legitimate reasons as cover to then gouge Canadians and exploit the opportunity, which the evidence looks like that's what's happening. But let's get to the bottom of it, and that's what we've forced Parliament to do. We're forcing an investigation into food prices, and we'll get to the bottom of this. Well, I, I have to tell you that even uh, conservative people that I've spoke to say uh, say it's fair game to investigate it. Um, again, uh, one of the arguments from the people who say it doesn't exist, and we have to remember that we get a lot of our food from other places, and, and in addition to all those very bad things that you've just cited, we have, you know, wild wildfires and things like that that could be affecting uh, produce uh, from certain places. But um, uh, so some of these private sector economists or analysts say, well, uh, the profit margins on the groceries are still single digit, like three, four percent. And that would indicate that maybe they're not gouging. How do you respond to that? Well, we have economists that have uh, looked at this as well, and uh, Jim Sanford uh, is one economist in particular, well-respected across Canada, and he has looked at the correlation between the inflationary prices and some of the profits and found a very interesting parallel. He's also looked at some of the communications that these corporate grocery stores are having with their shareholders, and in those communications, they're making it sound very clearly like they are experiencing record profits in their industries and in their sectors above and beyond what they normally expect. And uh, given the high profits and the bonuses, it really points to something going on. And that's why we know this investigation will help answer that question. Is it exploitation? Is it price fixing? Let's examine it. That's exactly why we want an investigation into these prices. Because for New Democrats, for us, unlike liberals and conservatives who either don't care or talk about the issue but don't do anything about it, as Pierre Polyev has done, we're actually trying to find solutions to make sure people can afford their groceries. That, to me, is the ultimate solution or the ultimate goal. How do we make sure people can afford their groceries in a G7 country like Canada where people are going hungry because the price of food is so high? Uh, so what kind of an investigation do you envision? And, and this investigation, my understanding is, it would not be binding anyway. Well, we have now secured support for the investigation to move forward in committee. So with the the forcing of this vote in Parliament, we have now pushed uh, the Liberals and Conservatives who initially opposed our approach to now support it. And we've now gained, uh, we forced basically them to support our motion in committee, which will then examine it. Similar to what happened in the price, the bread price fixing, uh, instead of letting this happen for years and years before we examine it, what we want to do is examine some of those very questions. Let's look at the prices. Let's look at the profit margins. Let's look at the fact that producers and workers aren't seeing any increase. Let's look at the commentaries and the, the communications that these corporate grocery stores are having with their shareholders. What story are they telling their shareholders? Are they talking about record profits and that this is a very profitable year? And are they using the cover of inflation to increase prices beyond what they should be doing. These are all the questions that we're going to examine. And we want to get down to the bottom of this so that we can protect consumers. I believe, unlike liberals and conservatives, that the role of government is to protect Canadians and consumers when they are being exploited by large corporations. And if that's what's happening, the government has to step up and provide protection. Given a looming recession, uh, more than ever, we need to see 
real protection in place for people, for families, for workers, for seniors who are going to the grocery store and saying, I just can't afford the groceries that I need. Uh, Price fixing is one thing. It's illegal. But uh, otherwise, you know, it's a a free market. And and even if they are raising prices more than they should, uh, and that's open to opinion, I mean, this is not something that we generally regulate in Canada, is it? Well, it's something that we should. We should take a look at. Uh, Is it appropriate for a company, for an entire sector, to increase prices at such a high rate where Canadians can no longer afford groceries? Shouldn't we look at the past when, as a nation, we decided that after the World Wars, companies that were profiteering, we thought that was wrong, and we put in place anti-profiteering laws to protect Canadians. This was done not just in Canada, but in the U.S. as well, because companies, when given free reign, may exploit circumstances to make more profit and hurt people. As a nation, we decided that that was wrong after the World War. So you said, no, we will not allow for profiteering to happen if companies are going to seek to use and exploit the World Wars as an opportunity to make money off the backs of people that are already hurting. We had already, as a nation, decided that was something wrong. I think we should look at that again. Uh, there are other nations in the world right now that have said the same thing for the oil and gas sector. This is not uh, uncommon. We've already seen Europe, Spain, and the United Kingdom put in place windfall taxes on oil and gas companies that are experiencing 30-year record high profits while the prices of oil continue to rise and gas continue to rise at the pumps. In fact, the CEO of Shell himself in a statement, the global CEO of Shell said, uh, and, and I paraphrase, that energy sector are making huge profits. Government should tax us to help people pay for the cost of gasoline. That is the words of the CEO of Shell himself. That should be the words of a government. That's what government should be doing. We should tax those that are exploiting an opportunity to make huge profits when it hurts people. We've done that in the past. We can do it now. Have you seen any evidence? I mean, I would think that uh, just the naming and shaming of this and the unanimous uh, verdict might have some, uh, or the unanimous consent to an investigation would have some effect. It certainly has, and that's why we've seen some action already uh, on the part of Loblaws. We've seen some commentary for a metro. And again, it just highlights our point. The fact that they can have any impact on the prices underlines and emphasizes our point that they can control price setting. They do have a role in what prices are set, and they can uh, choose to, to either make a little less profit so that people aren't being gouged and people aren't being hurt, Uh, If they're making record profits or huge profits, well, they shouldn't be at a time when people are struggling, when the cost of living is so high. Uh, And there is some responsibility they should play. And I think the pressure that we applied has certainly rattled some of the corporate sector, uh, grocery store, and we're going to continue that pressure. We're not going to back down because for New Democrats, our goal is not to just attack the liberals or conservatives just for the sake of it. We want to attack with the purpose of helping Canadians, finding a way to make sure people have a better life, can afford the things that they need. And that's what we're going to continue to do. Uh, some people worry that uh, actually what's going on is that there will be price freezes at a kind of at a peak level of inflation, which uh, may have already started to ease. Right. And I think that is a problem. That's why I haven't celebrated the freezing as, as some sort of victory. I've celebrated the fact that uh, we have raised awareness that the public's efforts, and I want to give a lot of credit to the public for pointing out, we've seen so many tweets and social media posts around people pointing out how food prices have gone up so much. Uh, the public pressure, coupled with our efforts in Parliament, and New Democrats fighting to make this an issue, has drawn attention. And it's certainly rattled a lot of the corporate sector, and we're getting them to pay attention to this. And we're saying clearly now with the will of Parliament something is troubling us and we want to investigate and the investigation itself will help. And the proof now that they can set prices gives credence to our argument that if they can set prices in freezing it, they can also increase it and they can also lower it. And we're going to push to make sure Canadians can afford their groceries. Okay. Jagmeet Singh, NDP leader. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.
Uh, people, uh, be patient. I, I will take your calls uh, if you have especially anything to say about that price freeze and Galen Weston, who was eviscerated on social media, uh, even though, um, you know, what he did not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, we're going to take a break now. And when we come back, we're going to switch gears from money to health. And we're going to talk about uh, some worry about what's coming next with COVID-19 when we return. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We've been hearing some dire warnings about a potential fall resurgence of COVID-19. The latest is from Canada's Chief Public Health Officer, Dr. Teresa Tam, who says the Public Health Agency of Canada is looking carefully at the evolution of Omicron subvariants and preparing for, quote, worst-case scenario. There have been some reports that the latest sub-variants have the ability to evade the vaccines and may be even more contagious than the Omicron that is going around or has been. So uh, the numbers to call, what do you think? Uh, and only a small percentage of us have had the latest boosters Uh are you going to get your booster? Have you had a booster? When are you getting your next one? The number is to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And let's bring in Dr. Prabhat Jha, epidemiologist and faculty member at the Dalalana School of Public Health. Hi, Dr. Jha. Hi, Libby. Uh, so, um, what have you been hearing about these brand new sub variants? I have heard, ooh, they might be able to evade the vaccines we have. Well, we've heard uh, that uh, the the sub variants, the cousins of Omicron, are already circulating in some settings. For example, in Germany, quite widely, and contributing to an increase in cases. In Canada, there has not yet been a clear increase in cases, but that's just inevitable, I think, as we get into the winter and or fall and winter uh, flu-like season, basically, when people are doing more crowding indoors. And uh, as you know, the mask fatigue has come in quite widely. People aren't wearing masks nearly as much in part because they're... Guilty uh, as charged. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think we all do that. Uh, it's just human behavior. But I think the important thing to note here is, first of all, the uh, evidence that we have. We look to Germany and, and Western Europe, who are roughly three to four weeks ahead of us in terms of the trajectories of the, of the, um, uh, of the variants, um, that even two doses of the vaccine, which most Canadians now have, protects really quite well against dropping dead or being seriously hospitalized. But the single most effective thing that could be done in Canada is to make sure the third dose, you know, we've been talking about the the fourth dose here uh, or the second booster, but the third dose coverage is only 50% among adult Canadians or above age five. So there's lots of Canadians, millions of Canadians that haven't even got the third dose. And the question is, should they get the variant or should they get, or sorry, should they get this new new vaccine that targets BA1 or should they get um, the original vaccine? Um, I would say get the first one you can because the evidence suggests that these, the new variant vaccines, the Omicron BA1, should be a little bit better. But remember, that targets BA1, which is what hit us in January of last year. What's circulating now in Canada is a cousin of that BA5. So naturally, it's probably not going to be as effective as it would be against the January of last year variant. Let let me just clarify. I thought the Pfizer vaccine... Mm -hmm did target the BA4 and 5, no? 
Uh, yes, the Tiger, uh, you're right, the Pfizer vaccine does target against BA4 and 5. But when you look at the evidence, the main effect is not so much from a um, these new types of vaccines. It's from getting the third dose or the fourth dose. And we have to remember that as more evidence accumulates, the main effect is simply having another vaccine on board. That's the most important decision, um, whether you get the newer one or the older one. Like I got the older one and I, you know, uh, is my booster. And I think that's fine because that just gives me some protection um, against being further protection against being hospitalized. I'm going to take a call from Janet in Scarborough. Hi, Janet. Janet. Uh, Janet, you've got to you've got to turn down your radio. Hi there. Hi, you've got to turn off your radio. Yeah, I just did. Okay, go ahead. And I'm You're a on the air. Time caller. Oh wait, wait. There you go. Welcome. <laughs> go ahead. Well, I uh, got uh, the uh, Moderna uh, bivalent vaccine, and. Two weeks after that, I was exposed to COVID. Uh, the uh, person that I was chatting with didn't know he had it and uh, uh, called me the next day and said he, he did have it and he tested positive. And the other people that he was talking to after me got it. His wife got it. I did not get it. Good and for I you. think it's because I had the, uh, you know, I mean, Two weeks, I was probably at the peak of, you know, uh, the immunity from it. And which shot was that? Was that your third, your fourth, your what? Fourth. Fourth. Yeah. Okay. Well, good for you. And I'm 75 years old, so I, you know, I'm 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 pretty careful. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Thank you for that, Janet. Oh, you're more than welcome. Okay, so uh, there, that's the Moderna. There are a lot of people who uh, recently took that new Moderna and are kind of regretting that they didn't wait for the Pfizer, which targets the other variants. Dr. Ja. I think that's a really a marginal difference between the two because uh, we, we know that if, uh, because this variant... Uh, the subvariant BA5 is a cousin of BA1, which was the big Omicron wave that hit us last uh, January or so. The vaccine will have some protection against it. Now, it's better than the original vaccine, uh, at least based in some lab tests, but not by a whole lot. And again, I think the key thing is people should get the third dose. Ideally, now they have the option of getting the bivalent, but uh, the main problem that we have is we still have millions of Canadians, particularly older Canadians, that don't even have the third dose. So we should be, and I think the public messaging is somewhat drifted on that, uh, that we're not putting enough of an emphasis. I still maintain that we should be redefining the definition of fully vaccinated as having three doses. Um, now, some places are doing that, but we, the, you know, the, the definition of fully vaccinated remains two doses, at least in terms of, you know, travel and other things. Uh, but we should be really thinking hard about whether we change that and encourage Canadians to get the third dose. While the numbers that you're quoting, uh, I'm sure, apply on a population level, I've got to say that uh, I think our audience is more fully vaccinated and uh a lot of the people that call in have already had their fourth yeah. doses. Yeah. I have. So so the next question is, you know, I'm assuming we're going to have to get boosted all the time. If you've had your fourth shot, uh, yeah. should you get a fifth shot? And how long should you leave between the fourth shot and the fifth shot? We simply don't know that yet because we don't have enough evidence accumulated. Remember, there's two parts to this. There's a population strategy where we want to get enough people with third and, and with fourth doses so that uh, particularly in older Canadians, so the immunity levels go up and if people get infected, they're far less likely to go into hospital and uh, overwhelm our healthcare system. That's the worry, right? That would be yeah. the thing that would lead to delays. In, I mean, our healthcare system is under stress. That would even add more. At the individual level, 
We don't have enough evidence to say, okay, if the new cousins of Omicron, which are circulating, that's things like BA275 and BQ1, Uh, They clearly are causing cases in places like Germany, Uh, but are they going to, they will show up in Canada, are they going to displace BA5? So far that hasn't happened, but if it does, then the question is, well, at that point, do we need to think about a fifth dose, at least for the most vulnerable? The National uh, Advisory Council on Immunization and other experts simply don't have the evidence on that. So I wouldn't recommend a fifth dose. I would suggest encouraging all uh, your listeners to encourage their friends uh, along with themselves to make sure they've at least got the third dose and a fourth dose as they're eligible. Okay, but uh, no word on a fifth dose. Yeah, not not yet, because we we uh, I think it's probably going to be the case that for a severely immunocompromised people, they will recommend the fifth dose reasonably uh, reasonably soon, and that's simply because they don't mount enough of an immune response. My mother is an example. She was uh, she got infected, in fact, uh, with COVID and was in hospital for a week. Oh dear! It, it was very unpleasant, but the. Good news is the vaccine saved her life. I mean, I'm sure without the vaccine, she probably would have died. But the vaccines gave her enough protection that she was able to fight off the infection. Uh, so this is exactly what we want to avoid is uh, older Canadians getting sick, um, sick enough. They w- might well get infected because, as you all our, know, the our VA- Jane Brown uh, uh, had COVID the other week after her fourth shot, and she's yeah. uh, not particularly older. But yeah, that's right. I had it a month ago after a fourth shot. Uh, um, a few weeks. Um, I mean, I got it from my mom because I had to provide care for her. But um, but I was fine. I had nothing other than you know being isolated for a week. So we, this is our concern, is to make sure that extra doses, in the, particularly in the elder population and immunocompromised, will keep people out of hospital. And that probably will be the strategy if we get the new variants showing up, the displaced BA5. Uh, but that hasn't happened yet. This is what Theresa Tam and others are saying. We're watching the Germany data. We're watching other countries and our own data and seeing whether uh, the new subvariants displace uh, displace BA5. Okay, and uh, I'm looking at the clock. We're out of time. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Prabhat Jha. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And uh, that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.